Welcome to the podcast that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Get ready to go beyond the bell. With your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Welcome, students. Class is in session. This is WCW 101, the history of World Championship Wrestling. We open up our virtual textbooks to Chapter 2, Georgia Championship Wrestling and the arrival of Jim Crockett. Tonight, we cover the early days of the NWA from the vast territories from Mid-Atlantic to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Find out how Jim Crockett Promotions created World Championship Wrestling on TBS. Find out what led to the purchase and sale of Georgia Championship Wrestling by the World Wrestling Federation. We will also talk about the monumental night known as Black Saturday. So much to cover and relive on this edition of Beyond the Bell. GCW, Jim Crockett, so much to talk about in the early days, in the early days of the NWA. Remember, this edition was recorded a few years ago, and we're bringing it back for the very first season of Beyond the Bell. WCW 101 Chapter 2 kicks off after this quick timeout. I'm pretty stoked. A friend of mine told me about Gazelle.com. They paid me cash for my used iPhone. Cash I used to get my new iPhone? Before Gazelle, I would just keep my old phones in this drawer. Gazelle made it easy. Gazelle made it so easy. Shipping was free. Gazelle paid me fast. My phone was worth 150 bucks. What? Do yourself a favor. Get on your little www. Gazelle.com. You can find out a Gazelle. It is a website. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell. Although World Championship Wrestling was a brand name used by promoter Jim Barnett for his Australian promotion, the first promotion in the United States to use the World Championship Wrestling brand name, though it was never referred to as WCW on a wide scale, was Georgia Championship Wrestling. Charlotte, North Carolina had an athletic commission and their local promoter had to be a resident. My dad, who was single at the time, they wanted him to go to Charlotte and this was sort of the early NWA, just a group of promoters that shared talent. And to run Charlotte, they had to have a resident. So he went to Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was around 1933 that he started promoting wrestling. Jim Crockett Promotions was started as a regional promotion in the Mid-Atlantic area, Carolinas, Virginia, etc. Both my dad and Jim Crockett Sr. were associated with the NWA, which is the group of wrestling promoters. Crockett had the Mid-Atlantic region, and Richmond was his northernmost territory. And it's only 90 miles from Washington, D.C., which was where my dad began promoting. Mr. Crockett, Jim Crockett Sr., affectionately called Big Jim, ran all kinds of events. Did a lot of uh, boxing exhibitions. Polar Derby, sportsman shows, 
did a lot of globetrotter events. Country and Western Circus. Dick Clark Caravan of Stars type shows. Anything that he thought would draw, all entertainment, you name it. At that time, my father ran the business out of his shirt pocket. He could tell you dates and, and figures and talent and matches. He had his little red book. All in all, from what I understand about Jim Crocker Sr. was he was a good promoter and a pretty good guy. My dad died April 1st, 73. Uh, and when he passed away, we had to reconnect with the business community, the entertainment community, and make our own footprint. So David and I sat down one night over at his house, so it was fine for me for David to run the company, and I would actually just run the, the wrestling, because that was my love. So Jim Crockett picked up the reins, and they did very, very well. Somebody has to be viewed as the boss. The buck's got to stop somewhere. And if you're going to start telling the different entertainers that, you know, hey, this is what you need to do or don't do, well, you got to be the boss. Over a period of a couple of years, that's how it just morphed into that, okay, now I'm the president. He went out and he was a very good politician. It just took a while for the other promoters to sort of fall in line. I think a lot of that also had to do with we became successful. Although Vincent J. McMahon's Northeast-based Capital Wrestling Corporation, then also affiliated with the NWA, also sometimes used the name in house show promotions, the, the birth of World Championship Wrestling can be credited to Georgia Championship Wrestling. Georgia Championship Wrestling, owned primarily by Jack Briscoe and Gerald Briscoe and booked by Ole Anderson, was the first NWA territory to gain cable TV access. In 1982, Vince McMahon Jr. purchased his father's Capital Wrestling Corporation. The CWC changed its name to the WWF and became the top promotion in North America. And Georgia Championship Wrestling devised the name World Championship Wrestling in an effort to compete. In 1982, Georgia Championship Wrestling changed the name of its television show, and thus its public face, to World Championship Wrestling, since it was already starting to run shows in neutral territories such as Ohio and Michigan. We welcome you to Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, NWA Professional Wrestling, the major leagues of professional wrestling. Jim Crockett Promotions became the content provider for that block, and uh, that was huge. In March of 1985, Jim Crockett Promotions took over the uh, Atlanta promotion. What were you trying to do differently than, than the promotions previous to Jim Crockett Promotions? It may sound a little corny, but we were trying to put the fans back into wrestling. That's right. When Crockett really got rolling, there were many more cable companies. The proliferation, the growth of cable television started evolving. There was WTBS who had more exposure on cable systems as a superstation. It was really the building block to a national organization, make no mistake about it. When we've gone out and promoted throughout the country, the fans have responded, so we are trying to give the fans what they want. What happened was that we started getting television ratings, started drawing bigger numbers of people in the arenas, which attracted talent. 1985, when I went to work for the Crockett's, there were a company that was getting ready to explode. A lot of outside talent came in, the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express, myself. Being a horseman is not something you put on in the morning and take off at night. 
It's a state of mind. It's excelling to the best of your ability. It's four individuals thinking singularly, acting collectively. There had been a recruitment campaign by Jim Crockett. We were doing really well because we had TBS, because TBS went everywhere. If you had cable, you had TBS, and at 6.05, the importance of that time slot for our entertainment venue was amazing. I mean, there are people so loyal to it, they talk about it today. You could feel it through the TV set. I get goosebumps thinking about it. It was terrific. You know, when I first started coming to Atlanta to do championship wrestling on television, matches were held every Friday night at the city auditorium. Well, of course, with the advent of the satellite and the Omni, wrestling has risen to dizzying heights, no question about it. Channel 17, Ted Turner, what he did for the cable industry, he's the father. You know, I've been all over the country and I've been missing, I've been missing 17 because Dustin Rhodes is the scene on 17. Ted Turner, his motto was, I was cable before cable was cool. Whatever Ted wanted to do, he did. He didn't take no for answer. For the genre of sports entertainment, Turner had a major role, uh, beginning in about 1971, when he cleared a two-hour block of time from 6.05 Eastern Time to 8.05 Eastern Time every Saturday night. You can walk around now in the country in Florida or in the South or anywhere, and they know the time. At 6.05, that show was on. Every week, they knew it. And I went to the people on Christmas night to bring that title back where I got it from Holy Race. Rick Flam will come for you on Christmas night. As a kid growing up, Rome, Georgia, that six to eight time slot on TBS was prime time. Everybody watched that show. Turner built his entire television empire around the ratings that they got from Georgia Championship Wrestling. They would put TV shows on before and after that they wanted to build and use that because people would tune in a little early or they would then watch when the show was over until those shows had good ratings it'd spur them off on their own and he created TBS through Georgia Championship Wrestling These efforts helped to keep GCW competitive against the WWF as both promotions had secured TV deals and were trying to become national as opposed to regional entities. The change in name helped make GCW the top promotion once again until the WWF was able to officially leave the NWA and create the show WWF All-American Wrestling. But Mid-Atlantic was just a stage through which Jim Crockett Promotions grew to a national power. And he brought uh, new talent in, uh, John Valentine, Wahoo McDaniel. Gene and Ole Anderson were, were with us before that, and then this young wrestler uh, who first came in is Ramlin Rickus Rose, which is Ric Flair. Working for Jimmy Crock and George Scott was phenomenal. It was a whole new world to me. And I didn't know that much about the South, but I, I fell in love with within a short period of time. The weather was great. I couldn't have been happier here. All these wrestlers were, you know, started coming in, and the fans loved it. I became a friend and a foe of the different promoters around. Uh, Crockett did very, very well. Had a very lucrative territory that a lot of wrestlers wanted to go work because they made money. Where's talent going to go that can make money? Are you going to go to 
Madison Square Garden where they're grossing hundreds of thousands of dollars? Or are you going to go to the Carolinas, which was the second grossing? I became, okay, I'll send you Ric Flair. You know, the different people we help create and also get on TV. So now they're local stars without being there. Well, that sort of morphed into who do we want as our world champion? There was a nine-member board. I mean, you had to have a majority vote to uh, become the champion. We're talking about Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. I'm a qualified man in this sport to tell you there's not another promotion like anywhere in the world. The NWA, led by President Jim Crockett, countered by creating Starcade in the fall of 1983, thus propelling it back to the top. But Vince McMahon again regained the lead with Hulk Hogan's dramatic world title victory at Madison Square Garden in January of 1984 as well as the creation of the television show Tuesday Night Titans. Race and Flair would wage a rivalry that headlined the NWA's revolutionary new event, Starcade. This closed-circuit extravaganza in 1983 was billed a flair for the gold, showcasing NWA's next big star. It marked a new era in sports entertainment. The theme was the flair for the gold. And they spent six months, I think, probably lobbying, negotiating, working the deal out. What happened over a period of time, Ric Flair became so important to the different regional promotions. The fact, then, it, you know, who are we going to have as the champion? It was never presented to anybody, either you make him the champion or you can't have him anymore, but... That's sort of the way it worked. The NWA title was always a political hot potato. A lot of influences swayed who was anointed the traveling NWA champion. And pretty soon it was like, you want Rick? We need to recognize him as the champion. And Sam Muchnick lived off of one city, and that was St. Louis. And Rick became such a star there that really uh, Sam became my ally because he needed him as a champion also. Flair was a unanimous decision. The important thing is putting butts in seats. And Ric Flair put a lot of butts in seats. We're delighted to be bringing you, wherever you are, live from Greensboro, North Carolina, Starcade 83. It is Starcade 83. It is the flair for the gold. There's no question about it. The whole... Starcade event was built around that match. You knew history was being set. I can think of two words that may sum up this entire match tonight for the 10 pounds of gold. Intensity and execution. I had all the confidence in the world that the guy I was going out there with deserved to be where he was at that point in time. He's got him down one, two, two three. three. He did it. He did it. That title changed right there in my ability to win the title that night. It would change my career from just being a flash in the pan type champion to a guy that, could, that really, really made me. His dream of the goal has been fulfilled right here and what a night and what a match and what a battle for Ric Flair. I was super proud to have been involved in it. 
I won the title, and the next day I was off and running. On behalf of Jim Crockett Promotions, welcome to the premier wrestling event, Starcade. We shut down I-40 and I-85. I mean, actually shut them down, people trying to get to the, the Greensboro Coliseum. The image of that form of entertainment, I think that's when it really changed from, oh, it's that, to, oh, the first Starcade just changed a lot of people's attitudes. Everybody was not happy about that. The smaller regional promoters, it was probably the death bell for them. The fact that, you know, the big production, all the talent wanted to go where there were the showcase events. And that only left two choices then. I think most people viewed it as a tremendous success. We gave young talent opportunities. The, the industry kept morphing into something, something else, something else. And all of a sudden, Greensboro, North Carolina is the wrestling capital of the South. The talent that comes in and out of here is the who's who in wrestling. And now you've got Gibson and Morton, the Rock and Roll Express. You've got the Koloffs, Magnum TA, the U.S. heavyweight champion. Dusty Rhodes is now the new world television champion. We've only just begun. As the popularity just went off the chart back in the mid-80s, I don't know what it was like for Elvis or the Beatles, but I tell you, if it was any, any more crazy than that, I, I can't imagine it because the people were so passionate, they would do anything to get to you to touch you. Was it me or was it the talent or maybe it was we exploited and got them to do what they could do best. They developed a lot of great stars. And I think that was probably what kept me going uh, longer than a lot of other promoters. Paul Jones, there were several other people that, you know, and Jim Barnett, that owned Georgia Championship Wrestling, the stockholders. And Vince came in and got control of Georgia Championship Wrestling, which gave him control of the Turner Shows. On behalf of WTBS, it's a pleasure to welcome the World Wrestling Federation. And so that was Black Saturday when he came in, and it was Vince McMahon. Thank you. It is indeed a pleasure to be associated with WTBS, and we promise to bring you the greatest in professional wrestling entertainment in the world today. Well, I thought it was a brilliant maneuver on our part. On April 9th in 1984, the Briscoe brothers sold their shares in GCW, including their prime time slot on the TBS cable TV network, to Vince McMahon. However, GCW's core audience was not interested in the WWF's cartoonish approach, preferring a more athletic style. As a result, when GCW's faithful television viewers tuned into TBS on July 14, 1984, and saw WWF programming instead of GCW wrestlers they were used to seeing, they were outraged and sent many complaints to the network, demanding the return of Georgia Championship Wrestling. This day has since gone down in wrestling as Black Saturday. We discussed it on the history of WCW on TBS. Adding fuel to the fire was the fact that, despite originally promising to produce original programming for the TBS time slot, McMahon chose instead to provide only a clip show for TBS featuring highlights from other 
WWF programming, a move which angered network head Ted Turner and was a major factor in his decision to discontinue showing the WWF on his network. Luckily for Turner, Ole Anderson had refused to sell his shares in GCW to the WWF, and he teamed with fellow holdout shareholders Fred Ward and Ralph Freed to create Championship Wrestling from Georgia. I don't know how he got by with doing this with Ted. Vince, he calls Ted Turner and says, Ted, I'll give you $500,000 a year and provide you a sports entertainment TV show. So Ted calls Jimmy and says, Jimmy, you're off the air. And I bought Georgia Championship Wrestling right out from under, you know, those who were supplying the, you know, the performers, which was, in this case, um, the NWA, Jim Crockett Promotions. I didn't like it because he was on the station. You know, I knew what it meant. If he's on syndicated shows, that's one thing, but on Superstation, that's another. At that time, Turner Broadcasting was... America's station. Everybody knew TBS. I figured that was the end of us because TBS gave you credibility on top of everything else. And everybody just was, poof, man, that's the end of an era. Smart business on his part and made everybody uh, stand up and take notice. Good to have you here, and I think you're going to find an audience here that's very warm to the talent you have and to the great matches. When they aired the product that they did, the fans went nuts. Fans got a sample today, and they're in for a treat. you got great action coming in the major cities of this country. And right here in Atlanta, part of it now with great action every single week on TV. He tried to change the TBS franchise, and it didn't work. And here on World Championship Wrestling this week, the Polish power Ivan Putski. I don't know what political strings were pulled, but... In a very short period of time, Ted wanted out of our contract, which was a handshake. And I, I had a falling out with Ted. And so let's find some sort of amicable way in which we can get out of this. And we did. Crockett Jr. calls Vince and says, I want my TV station back. What's it going to cost me? We ended up paying Vince a million dollars for the contract to run uh, the TV at TBS. So I didn't suffer any. I probably made a few bucks uh, you know, along the way. At that time, too, Vince was looking, he wanted to do WrestleMania. He wanted, that was around the first time in WrestleMania. So basically, we bought it and paid for WrestleMania. Turner quickly secured a TV deal with the new promotion, as well as with Bill Watts in Mid-South Wrestling. In March of 1985, McMahon sold his TBS time slot to Jim Crockett Promotions, who was owned by Jim Crockett Jr. Under pressure from Ted Turner, who resurrected the World Championship Wrestling name. Turner Broadcasting had copyrighted it and prevented McMahon from using it. The WWF and Hulk Hogan, however, were now the superior figures of wrestling after the success of WrestleMania 1. So the sale took place to successfully put the company in better shape. What we've heard is, like we said before, that the purchase or the or the purchase of Georgia Championship Wrestling back from the WWF was or was used to fund WrestleMania. Coming up next on Superstation WTBS, it's exciting championship wrestling from Georgia on Superstation WTBS.
Welcome to Championship Wrestling from Georgia. I'm Gordon Soley, your host, and what an hour we have in store for you this week. First of all, we're going to be seeing the boogie-woogie man himself, luscious Jimmy Valiant, in action. And uh, let me bring in a man who can tell you more about this man. He's seen him in action many, many times in the past. I'm referring, of course, to Ole Anderson. And Ole, uh, Pistol Paz Watley's with us today. Yeah, and you were talking about the guy we're going to see first, uh, Jimmy Boogie-Woogie Man Valiant. He's a guy that uh, very close to people. People really enjoy his style of wrestling. And, of course, when he goes out in the ring, he's hugging, he's kissing. He makes himself uh, wanted and appreciated by everybody. We really enjoy having Jimmy the Boogie Woogie Man Valley with us. We're also going to be seeing Bob Roop, the Olympian, and we're going to be looking at the Road Warriors and a few others. Chief Wahoo McDaniels, a fellow who has really become a legend in his own time with the New York Jets, the Miami Dolphins, and, of course, uh, in the pro wrestling ranks, uh, some controversy surrounding that U.S. heavyweight championship. But nonetheless... Uh, he is indeed an interesting personality. Well, he is that, and we'll also be seeing a couple of favorites of mine, the Assassins. So uh, maybe we can get into some matches. A bit of facetiousness there on the part of Ole Anderson about being favorites of his. The new WCW, which was now a combination of Jim Crockett Promotions, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, and Championship Wrestling from Georgia, was now the top show on TBS and Jim Crockett Jr. became NWA president for the second time. By 1986, Jim Crockett Jr. controlled key portions of the NWA under the name Jim Crockett Promotions, including the traditional NWA territories in the Carolinas, Georgia, and St. Louis. Crockett merged his various NWA territories into one group, promoting under the banner of the National Wrestling Alliance. In fact, Jim Crockett Promotions virtually became synonymous with the NWA. A feud between Crockett and Vince McMahon's WWF sprang up, and both companies attempted to outmaneuver the other to acquire key TV slots. It was the WWF, however, who was able to become a big hit in St. Louis, and the rest of Missouri as well, which brought trouble to the NWA central states. Although other promotions had adopted their own versions of a world champion, most people at the time still regarded the NWA champion as the true world champion. In the mid-80s, the driving force for the NWA was Jim Crockett Promotions' Mid-Atlantic area. Crockett was selling out arenas around the country and achieving an unprecedented level of popularity. Flair may have been the man, but another superstar was garnering attention. He was a common man who was anything but common. The charismatic Dusty Rhodes, along with the bleach-blonde, slick-talking showman Ric Flair, were competing in classic championship matches. Their rivalry elevated the world championship to an even higher plateau. The rivalry between Dusty and I was always about the NWA championship. I've said, you know, a thousand times that Steamboat was my greatest opponent back then, and really... What I meant by that was I thought Steamboat was the best guy I was ever in the ring with in that time frame. My, my best opponent in the 80s for sure was Dusty Rhodes. He could wrestle for an hour as easy as anybody else, and he had the unbelievable charisma, and he had the knowledge and the skill. And the main thing Dusty had that very few people totally understand is Dusty had master ring psychology. But he didn't just wrestle me for an hour, he wrestled Harley, he wrestled Terry Funk. Dusty was always in that world title picture. Another referee has come in because Tommy Young is still down. He's right. 
just for that moment, you're the best, and it doesn't really fade. Dusty Rhodes has done it! People say this about wrestling, this about wrestling. For that moment, it's, it's the most important moment in all of sports, period. The American Dream came back from the bottom and is now world heavyweight champion. And I'm going to be that way for a long time. My man, Chief, we hear that it. Nobody can beat the people. Nobody can beat the world. And nobody can beat the American Dream. The WWF was able to become a hit across the country as well, as the feud between Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff appealed to a large audience. Following this, Bob Geigel became the NWA president once again. In the same year, Jim Crockett Promotions also purchased Heart of America Sports Attractions Incorporated, which also known as HASA. Promoters of the Central States Territory, which owned the rights to promote wrestling shows through several central states, which was Kansas, Missouri, and Iowa, took effect in the Heart of America Sports Attractions. The new heavyweight champion of the world! There were board members that chose who had the opportunity to become champion. And they all agreed that I should have my run at it. Funk Brothers had both been there long enough. We were looking for somebody to replace him. Harley Race drew a lot of money for us. The committee just decided Harley Race was the guy. And... I had a fabulous run with it. He was one of the best champions that the NWA ever had. What made Harley a good champion? His durability. Being the NWA champion at that time, you would go into a territory, Florida, and work it for a couple weeks, go to Georgia, go to the Carolinas, go to Texas. He was always working. I've been down every pike there is to be down. I've wrestled every wrestler there is to wrestle in wrestling today. He fought hundreds of different opponents on multiple continents, and he always maintained his dignity and his integrity. But when you think of Harley Race, I believe you think of toughness. You're walking in against a man that has survived every obstacle that's ever been thrown in front of me for the last 18 years. He's a mean, tough guy in the ring. And you better be prepared to take a few lumps, because he's not bashful. When you come for what I do better than any other man on the face of this earth, you've got to wound up getting hurt. Holly was a great combination of, of doing some great technical moves and just beating the crap out of a guy. Had a great look with the sideburns that went up, and his promo style was very in-your-face, and matter-of-fact, kind of seething. I know! that you want the world's title. Well, come out and get it! The Kansas City native dominated the championship picture for the next six years, until 1983. Meanwhile, Ric Flair was a fresh face who showed a dedication and a zeal that seemed to revitalize the scene. Race and Flair would wage a rivalry that headlined the NWA's revolutionary new event, Starcade. This closed-circuit extravaganza in 1983 was billed a flare for the gold, showcasing NWA's next big star. It marked a new era in sports entertainment. 
the theme was the flair for the gold. And they spent six months, I think, probably lobbying, negotiating, working the deal out. What happened over a period of time, Ric Flair became so important to the different regional promotions. The fact then, it, you know, who are we going to have as the champion? It was never presented to anybody, either you make him the champion or you can't have him anymore, but that's sort of the way it worked. The NWA title is always a political hot potato. A lot of influences swayed who was anointed the traveling NWA champion. And pretty soon it was like, you want Rick, we need to recognize him as the champion. And Sam Muchnick lived off of one city, that was St. Louis. And Rick became such a star there that really uh, Sam became my ally because he needed him as a champion also. Flair was a unanimous decision. The important thing is putting butts in seats. And Ric Flair put a lot of butts in seats. We're delighted to be bringing you, wherever you are, live from Greensboro, North Carolina, Starcade 83. It is Starcade 83. It is the flair for the gold. There's no question about it. The whole Starcade event was built around that match. You knew history was being set. I can think of two words that may sum up this entire match tonight for the 10 pounds of gold. Intensity and execution. He's got him down. One, two, three. He did it. That title change right there and my ability to win the title that night is what changed my career from just being a flash in the pan type champion to a guy that, that really, really made me. His dream of the goal has been fulfilled right here and what a night and what a match and what a battle for Ric Flair. I was super proud to have been involved in it. I won the title and the next day I was off and running. The National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, the gold belt that signifies the most coveted trophy in all of professional sports. A lot of great athletes have worn it. I feel fortunate to be wearing it right now. Second time around, I knew the ropes and I had a lot more self-confidence. It was up to the champion to carry it to the next level. I mean, that was clearly the job assignment attached with it. And you know, beyond any shadow of any doubt, that Rick is going to be able to perform at a quality above any person. The experience of wrestling all over the world and wrestling a top competitor every night the world titles on the line makes you a better athlete, makes you tougher mentally and physically, and enables you to either go out there and perform at a level unsurpassed by anybody else or the world title disappears. I took it as my job, just as I had learned from Harley Race and Terry Funk and Dusty that it's my job to take it over the top of the champion. You've seen other so-called champions from other wrestling promotions, but the NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance World Heavyweight Champion, is the true world champion representing the entire world. In 1987, Jim Crockett Promotions would enter into agreement to control championship wrestling from Florida, though JCP never bought that company and Universal Wrestling Federation, which covered Oklahoma, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas, and Louisiana, and which was not an NWA member. This helped make him NWA president once again. 
The Florida and Mid-South territories, along with those companies' rosters and rustlers, were absorbed into Jim Crockett promotions. Crockett now owned NWA St. Louis, the UWF, and his own Jim Crockett promotions, as well as Georgia Championship Wrestling, Central States Wrestling, and Championship Wrestling from Georgia, and the CWF as well. Oof, he, he started to pack in the territories. Crockett had almost accomplished his goal of creating a national promotion. Tony, there are a lot of people that can claim to be, but there is only one world heavyweight champion, the world heavyweight champion, Ric Flair, the nature boy Ric Flair. A man who wears the 10 pounds of gold, David. You're right, he is something. Nature Boy Ric Flair, the heavyweight champion of the world. Right now, let's go to Nature Boy Ric Flair in a talk with the world's heavyweight champion. You know, I was like to take this opportunity to talk about myself, to talk about the world heavyweight championship, and to talk about all the national exposure that we get right here in the Superstation. You see, you people out there, the greatest wrestling fans in the world deserve an opportunity to see the best. And in the National Wrestling Alliance, you're seeing the best that professional wrestling has to offer. So obviously, let's put two and two together. If I'm the world heavyweight champion and I represent the National Wrestling Alliance, then I got to be the best of them all. That just cut and dried. I'm the best. Whether you like it or not, you're looking at, woo, the greatest wrestler, the best-looking man, the best-dressed man, long limousines, jet airplanes, custom-made clothes, and any woman in the world I want, just like that. You know why? Woo, because my name's Ric Flair. And because I'm the world heavyweight wrestling champion. So you see, Dusty Rhodes... You're nothing to have the son of a plumber. You can't stand the fact that I was born with a golden spoon in my mouth, can you? Huh? Magnum T.A. riding around in that funky motorcycle. Why don't you get the Mercedes-Benz and be a real man? Huh? Manny Fernandez, Bud Sawyer, Jimmy Valiant. Y'all playing catch-up ball to the nature boy. Holly Race, Kerry Von Erich, I don't care where you are in life. Or where you rank in professional wrestling. Let's face it. If you're not carrying the big gold, you're second best no matter what you tell yourself. So gear up, ladies and gentlemen. Get used to it in Ric Flair. Who you're looking at, the man. Between the purchasing of several NWA territories, world-class championship wrestling in Texas leaving the NWA in 1986 and later merging with Jerry Jarrett's Championship Wrestling Alliance in Memphis to create the United States Wrestling Association brand, the USWA, and the once highly variable Portland Territory going bankrupt. It closed in 1992. He was the last bastion of the NWA, and the last member with national TV exposure, which made him so critical to the organization. Since it was all they saw now, many people began to believe that Jim Crockett Promotions was the NWA. Although Jim Crockett Promotions and the NWA were still two separate entities with Crockett as NWA president, they were very much on the same page. The NWA was effectively on paper the organization funded by Crockett and allowed Crockett to use the NWA brand name for promoting. With the large amount of capital needed to take a wrestling federation on a national tour, 
Crockett's territorial acquisitions had seriously drained Jim Crockett Promotions offers. He was in a similar situation to that of the WWF in the early 80s. A large debt load and the success or failure of a federation hinging on the success or failure of a series of pay-per-views. Crockett marketed Starcade 87 as the NWA's answer to WrestleMania. However, the WWF promoted Survivor Series in 1987 on the same day. The WWF informed cable companies that if they chose to carry Starcade, they would not be allowed to carry future WWF events. The vast majority of companies showed Survivor Series. Only three opted to remain loyal to their contract with Crockett. In January of 88, Jim Crockett Promotions promoted the Bunkhouse Stampede pay-per-view and McMahon counter-programmed with the first Royal Rumble on USA Network. Both NWA pay-per-views achieved low buy rates and the resulting financial blow due to the low buy rates both for both Starkid and Bunkhouse Stampede were in many ways both the beginning of the end for Jim Crockett Promotions and the birth of WCW in which which basically would take Jim Crockett Promotions place. In addition, the decision to hold these events in Chicago and New York alienated the Crockett's main fan base in the Carolinas, hampering their drawing power for their arena shows. This was foreshadowing for the future purchase by media mongol Ted Turner which we'll get into in part three of our WCW 101 series. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. TuneIn Premium has all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That's all the radio you want for $7.99 a month. That means every single Major League Baseball game, every single NFL game, the most massive collection of commercial-free radio stations in the world, over 5.5 million podcasts, and unlimited access to 40,000 audiobooks. Download the TuneIn Radio app for a free seven-day trial of TuneIn Premium. TuneIn Premium, boundless audio. You're listening to the Retro Wrestling Podcast, Beyond the Bell. You can listen to Beyond the Bell on iTunes, Player.fm, the SNS Radio Network, Podbay.fm, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and our official website, btbcast.com. Connect socially on Facebook and Twitter at btbcast. Watch retro videos on our official YouTube channel, btbcast network. Questions, comments, and suggestions can be sent to contact at btbcast.com. TBcast.com. Go old school with Beyond the Bell. Well, students, that closes the book on Chapter 2, and we look ahead to Chapter 3, Episode 3, featuring the beginning of the Ted Turner era this edition we covered the wide variety of territories involved in the nwa with georgia championship wrestling topping them all the surprise purchase of gcw by the world wrestling federation the infamous black saturday and the creation of world championship wrestling next edition we dive into the purchase of WCW, the NWA, WCW by Ted Turner as the Turner era will begin in the history 
of WCW. This edition's research is courtesy of historyofwwe.com, iwheadlines.com, the DDT Digest, the legacyofwrestling.com, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, and the PW Torch. Audio courtesy of WWE's History of the World Heavyweight Championship, the rise and fall of WCW, and audioblocks.com. So my pro wrestling family, my brethren, that wraps up episode two. I'll see you for episode three as the Ted Turner era begins. This is Sean Beckerman signing off. So long, my old schoolers. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Bell. Remember to always keep it old school, my friends.